You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, I was curious, how many of you this week at some level have experienced stress at all? Just raise your hand real quick if you experienced any level of stress uh, this week. Well, can I encourage you just for a minute? Look on screen at Matthew 634, where Jesus says to you today, therefore, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see that word day there? Each day. And then in the Our Father prayer in Matthew 6, 11, look at that one with me on screen, where Jesus encourages us to pray today. Give us today our what? Daily bread. And then look at the call to discipleship in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, uh, where Jesus says to the people, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross, how often? Daily. And follow me. So all you have to do is make it through today. And that's why throughout this entire series, we'll be reminding you of the one transforming idea that change happens daily not in a day. Could we say that together out loud even if you're watching online? Here we go, ready? Change happens daily, not in a day. And so throughout this series, this summer uh, called Read the Red, we're challenging you to take what's called the 84-day challenge to read through the red letters of Jesus through the Gospels. We've got these little bookmarks that we created. The bookmarks have the reading plan on the back. If you didn't join us in starting this Reading the Red reading plan last Sunday, you can come up on the stage in the lobby in the video cafe and grab one of these bookmarks that has the reading plan on it. We also have the reading plan in PDF version that you can get on our website or our Facebook page um, there. So look on social media or the website and get it digitally if you'd like it in that format. But each week during the series, we're going to be teaching you on Sundays from the red letter sections of the scriptures in the New Testament. So um, have you ever gotten on like what I call uh, a happiness cycle? And what I mean by that is, uh, let me give you an example from my own life, is that when I was younger, I thought I'd, I'd be happy if I just got the next piece of stereo equipment. So like my first piece of stereo equipment was I just wanted a vinyl record player, right? And I got a vinyl record player. And it wasn't just any old vinyl record player. It had an eight-track tape deck inside of it. Now, young people, eight-track tapes. These were tapes the size of a small book that you could stick in a stereo and it would play music. It was the most amazing thing. But how many of you know that you're not happy with one form of playing your music? It leads to something else, doesn't it? So uh, I wasn't happy with just having my vinyl record player anymore. So I had to take the next step and get a cassette player. And man, it sounded so good, man. I mean, you know, there was no putting the needle on the record and all of that. There was no, you know, trying to mess with the eight track, but it's like you fast forward it and everything. It was amazing. Uh, uh, But how many of you know that cassettes just don't do it for you over time. And so you need to take the next step. And the next step for me was the CD player, right? Got a CD player. It sounded so good. Uh, You didn't have to fast forward it, but you could just press a button and go to the next song. It was really fantastic. Um, And CDs were great, but they took up a lot of space after you collect a bunch of them, you know? You have this, anybody besides me have those CD books, you know, that you stack a bunch of CDs in there, you know, and you keep them and uh, you, you think you're all high tech. But then came the MP3 player. So I remember getting my first iPod and uh, that was exciting because I could put all of my music on one little, you know, metal box and everything. Uh, But 
Then a few years ago, I was at this thrift store. And at this thrift store, I see a Techniques vinyl record player turntable for 20 bucks. I popped on it, man, right there. I was feeling all sentimental. I brought it home. I'm playing my Johnny Cash album, you know. I'm playing the whole deal, you know. And I was so excited that I was on vinyl again. And I remembered the little pops and the way it sounded. And it made me feel all nostalgic. But you know what happened to me? Um, it just wasn't real practical to get the record out. And I found myself gravitating more just to Pandora and Spotify all the time because it's so much easier. It's on my phone. You know, you just press it and you're playing music. And so what I ended up doing was putting my Techniques turntable that I'd bought for 20 bucks at a thrift store, put it on Craigslist for 120 bucks and sold it to a 20-year-old hipster girl. I tithed on it, right? And uh, I was happy after that, right? But have you ever gone in the happiness cycle? It's like if it's just the next thing. And dudes, I know what you do. It's like hard drive space. What's the answer to hard drive space? More, isn't it? So remember you were like megabytes and now it's like gigabytes. And then of course, some of you are buying now terabytes of storage space, whether it's on the cloud or uh, whether it's you know on a hard drive. And you know what's gonna be next? Petabytes. That one's kind of weird. I'm going to skip that one. I'm going to skip petabytes. But then after that, it's like exabytes. And then the next two are going to be zettabytes. And then the one after that is going to be, get this, this is legit. I'm not just making this up because I like Star Wars. It's going to be Yodabytes, okay? <laughs> Yodabytes. There's going to be a little green dude inside the hard drive or whatever somewhere uh, on the cloud. Um, but we all know the answer to storage is just a little bit more in there. And Jesus tells us a way to happiness that's ultimate fulfillment that's a little bit better than that. Remember last week we saw it in a word he used for blessed. It's makarios is the word. Makarios basically just means blessed, uh, to cause to prosper, to make happy, to praise, to celebrate with praises. And, uh, you know, I think what we're all looking for is um, this kind of happiness because it's beyond just the planned obsolescence of our world. And the way you can remember it is, is that makarios sounds like our word, what? Macarena, doesn't it? And so I had to bring a Macarena video this week because people around the church are reading the red. You can see Gideon there along with Alyssa. They're reading the red. They're getting happy. They're getting so happy. They want to do the Macarena, wear banana suits, stuff like that. Um, So it's a good time as we're reading through the red, learning the ways of Jesus that make us blessed, see? Now, um, unfortunately, in the United States, uh, if you look at the World Happiness Report, you'll see that America is now the 19th happiest nation in the world. Now, a couple of years ago, we were the 17th. So uh, the happiness of Americans is actually going down. At least we're in the top 20, so we're still fairly happy. However, all of our stuff is not, all of our prosperity is not giving us a deep level of contentment. We keep going down the list, we're less happy all the time. And Jesus taught a group of people who are struggling with happiness issues how you could experience this blessed life, this makarios, makarena kind of life in Matthew in the, in the Beatitudes. We covered the first four Beatitudes last week. We're gonna hit the last four today. Um, but look at the first one today. Jesus' uh, ideas about happiness involves mercy. It involves mercy Would you read with me out loud Matthew 5, 7? Ready? Here we go. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful. When you show mercy, someday you'll receive mercy. I was looking at this article in the New York Times, and it was about uh, after the Civil War when Columbia, South Carolina was in shambles. I mean, it was just leveled by the North. And the North had won the war. And after that war, the New York Fire Department collected pennies to purchase a fire truck for Columbia, South Carolina. And uh, the Confederate Colonel Samuel Melton was so moved by this act of kindness, you know, to kind of smooth over the bitterness from the war, that he said he hoped one day that his city, Columbia, South Carolina, would have a chance to return the favor. Well, that time came 134 years later when the children of Columbia, South Carolina collected pennies. They sold T-shirts. They did bake sales to raise over $350,000 to purchase and replace a fire truck that had been destroyed in the September 11th attacks for the New York Fire Department. You see what's going on there? Is that New York extended mercy, and when they needed it the most, they received mercy from someone else. And no doubt when Jesus is thinking about mercy, he's thinking about the great words of Micah the prophet in Micah 6, 8, where Micah says, and what does the Lord require of you? Look at it. To act justly and to love what? Mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So if you will be a person who's characterized by mercy, extending mercy when you need it the most, you'll receive mercy in your life. And when we give mercy, it does something to our hearts. It creates something in our hearts. It creates purity. So would you read this next beatitude with me um, about purity? It's going to be Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. And look what it says. Let, let's, say, let's read it together. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When we're pure in our hearts, it helps us to see God. Now, there are a couple of different types of purity in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular. There's what's called positional purity first. Now, positional purity is the way that God sees me. He sees me as pure and perfect because Jesus died on me on the cross to pay for my sin. This is my position in Christ. This is kind of like when I used to work for a boss who had a membership at the Plaza Club at the top of the Frost Tower, and he would take me there, and I got to enjoy this all-you-could-eat delicious lobster and shrimp, and I had those benefits because of my position at the company and who I was with. And look, when you're with Christ, in Christ, you can rest assured that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, your imperfection, uh, your, uh, your struggles. He sees perfect purity of Jesus Christ. That's your position in Christ. But let's look at the second part of purity, and the second type of purity is actually practical purity, is what we call it. That involves exercising your willpower and trusting God to change you. So I know a lot of people in our church who have been through recovery, and I know a lot of people who have been addicts in the past and are now walking in freedom. And you know why they're walking in freedom? Because they did the hard work of exercising their wills to 
work the steps. And sometimes they fell down and didn't get discouraged. They realized the truth of the scripture that a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up again. And they've gone through relapses and struggles, but they've kept getting up. And I know people that I could have stand up in this very room right now in this service who could say, hey, I've been living in freedom from my addiction for 10 years, two years, 20 years, some of them, because of practical purity. They did the hard work that we have to do to realize our position in Christ. Remember, positional purity, I'm perfectly pure in Christ. And if you'll see your identity in Christ, you know what to live up to. Unfortunately, in our world, a lot of people speak down to us, and we don't receive those words. We receive our position in Christ, and we walk towards living up to the position that we hold in Christ. But what happens is, is that when you live out this practical purity, it helps you to see God and his kingdom. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8? Let's look at it again. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. It's not just a matter of intellectual understanding. You ever known people that come to church and they think if the pastor just gives me some little nugget of truth that I didn't know before and I come to some new intellectual understanding, then I'll change. And that's not true. What you see all throughout the Gospels is Jesus is very concerned with your hearts and your motivation, and he doesn't reveal truth. He calls BS on you when you say, hey, I just want to know more stuff, and then I'll change. He knows your motives, and if your motives are, I'm not going to obey you anyway, then why should he reveal more truth to you? He looks into our hearts and knows what is there. And what happens is that um, when we have wrong motivations in our hearts, we don't see the reality of what's taking place, and it leads to our demise oftentimes. Now, I noticed this little video online called The Nino's Extinction Illusion, and I thought it illustrates this point of spiritual vision. So take a look at the little video, and I'll explain what I mean by it. Nino's Extinction Illusion. Can you see all 12 dots? We can't either. This optical illusion is known as Nino's Extinction Illusion, and there are 12 dots at different intersections of the grid. However, the trick is that they all can't be seen at once. Some people could see four at once, but that's about it. Because of the way our eyes process light, we won't be able to see more than a few at a time, because our eyes make the other dots disappear. In other words, our brains are working against us pretty freaky, isn't it? It's like someone just got the munchies after watching that, okay? So it's just like, uh, that's pretty weird. But look, here's why I wanted to show you that, is when you read throughout the New Testament, and the, particularly the Gospels, and Jesus is talking about our hearts, you notice Jesus talks about having a good eye, and he even talks about having a bad eye or an evil eye. And when Jesus says the evil eye, he's not talking about the oho, you know, like we think of it. Uh, but what he means by that is uh, a good eye is a generous eye, and a bad eye is stingy, doesn't care about the needs of the poor and the hurting, the, the broken. And when we have a bad eye, we're stingy, we're hanging on to our stuff. And it's like the little dot on the video. When we're focused on our stuff and our thing, then it clouds a broader vision of the kingdom of God. But when you back up from it and don't focus your life just on your stuff and possessions then you can begin to see a broader reality that's taking place. You can see more of the dots on the chart. Does that make sense? So uh, when our hearts are pure, it prepares us to do the next beatitude, and that is to bring peace, to be peacemakers. Let's read this next text from Matthew 5, verse 9, out loud together. Ready? Here we go. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children 
of God, children of God when we're peacemakers. Now, what you got to understand is that making peace is not just about being a doormat. Making peace is not just going along to get along and not being uh, confrontational at all. In fact, sometimes making peace requires creative conflict. Now, I learned about this from an author named Walter Wink. He wrote this book called Engaging the Powers, and he explains that Jesus' teaching in the red letters teaches people to not be doormats to the oppressive powers that are in their world, but to creatively stand up to them. So let me show you some examples of this from the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus says to turn the other cheek, you know what he's talking about there is he's not talking about just being a doormat, but if the Romans uh, would have slapped you in that day, if they felt they were superior to you and that you were less than, they would slap you with the back of their hand. And if they slap you with the back of your hand, your face would turn this way. And the Christians were taught to turn the other cheek. Well, the angle would make it difficult for the Roman to backhand them again. It forced them to slap them with an open hand which that represents the way that you would slap someone who's an equal. So turning the other cheek is actually a way to force oppressive powers to acknowledge you as an equal. And then Jesus says, if someone asks for your shirt, you give them your coat as well. You know what that would do if you, your, under, uh, your, your outer garment and your shirt were gone, in that day, you would be standing there naked. Now, you and I think about nakedness as embarrassing to us if we were naked in public. But in that day, the person that was seeing you naked would be the one who's dishonored and who would be embarrassed. Some of you remember uh, the story of Noah when his children saw him naked there, uh, passed out. They covered him over because they were embarrassed by it, right? And so this is what Jesus is saying is that if someone is oppressing you, you give them your coat as well and it would embarrass them. And then when he says, go the second mile, The Roman soldiers were allowed to force you to carry their pack for a mile, but no more by law. And so Jesus says, go the second mile. And what that does is it potentially gets that Roman soldier in trouble with his commanding officer when you're going more than the legal allotment of one mile. Does that make sense? So uh, when we are um, being peacemakers, it doesn't mean that there's no conflict in the midst of the peace, but it also means making amends and making things right with other people. Those of us that have worked the steps know that steps eight and nine involve amends. Let's look at them on screen. Number eight says that we made a list of all the persons that we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. And then step nine, we made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And so Jesus says that if you're coming to worship and you're presenting your gift at the altar, if you realize that somebody's got something against you, then you go make it right and then come back and worship. See, making amends, making things right, as long as it depends on us, let's be at peace with all people. But you know, the ultimate form of peacemaking is when we help people come to peace with God. When you share your story of having come to faith in Christ, when you share the message of the cross, when you boldly and courageously in a day when nobody wants to share their faith, but when you speak it out and tell someone what Jesus has done for you and what he can do for them, you're helping people come to peace with God. And that's the most blessed part of peacemaking. Now, unfortunately, our world is kind of violent and our beliefs are not tolerated everywhere in the world. And that's why Jesus extended happiness to those who are persecuted.
This is the last beatitude we're going to cover today, and that is the persecuted. I'll read this text about persecution in Matthew 5, 11. Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, some few years ago, we were doing some training with pastors in Russia and there was one pastor there. His name was Pastor Valentin. I brought a picture of him. He's the silver-headed gentleman in the suit there and he had three fingers missing. And when asked what happened to his fingers, he explained back in the really hardcore communism days in Russia, the KGB would come and visit Pastor Valentin for speaking about Jesus. And each time they came, they would cut off a finger. And he was asked, well, how come they quit visiting you? And he said, I guess they figured I only had seven more fingers left because he was going to keep speaking the gospel, see. And I wondered what would happen if the authorities were to start lopping off fingers of people who were coming to our church who were speaking about Jesus. I wonder what it would do to church attendance. It might shrink a little bit maybe, right? Because when the persecution hits, you see who for real and who is not. You know, and one of the things I was thinking about regarding our baptism coming up this Sunday is that some of you it's time to be baptized. And what makes you think you would ever be willing to suffer for Jesus if you're not willing to come up in front of a, a group of people who mostly believe and be baptized in water? So I want to challenge some of you to go to the link, citychurchdowntown.com slash baptism. Get signed up for that. Following Jesus is something that we have to do even when it's hard. And uh, the first step of baptism is really an easy step. But there may come a day when we have to suffer. And unfortunately, the practice of persecuting Christians is on the rise. There's a little bit of an encroachment that's coming to those of us in the West. Some of you remember the picture that I'm going to show you on screen of the 21 martyrs during the execution of these men as their heads were being cut off by these knives. They were repeating the words, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, until their vocal cords were cut and they could no longer speak. Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a new book. It's entitled The 21, A Journey into the Land of Coptic Martyrs. It's written by a German novelist and poet named Martin Mosenbach, and he includes interviews with the families of the men who were killed. And what he found was a completely different point of view of martyrdom. Look at this quote from the book. He says, Amongst the families, there was no lamentation, no mourning, no pity, but instead, pride and what? Happiness. Those families were proud of their sons and brothers and fathers who were willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel and for Jesus. You know, one of the things I thought was interesting about this is that um, the Egyptian government made a very rare investment in these people and built them a new church. The Egyptian government that's mostly Muslim contributed over $500,000 US dollars in order to build them a new church. And their faith grew and their church grew as a result of the 21 martyrs. And so perhaps it's true what the early church father Tertullian said, 
and that is that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And listen, I know some of you come to church to have your felt needs met. I know some of you come to church to get like self-help kind of principles that we post on the internet in little memes, but make no mistake about it. If you choose to really do this, there may be a day when you really do have to suffer for the sake of Jesus. And look, the 21 martyrs, do you know why they were willing to die for Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because he's worth it. He's absolutely worth it. There's nothing better and no one better that fills our hearts than Jesus Christ. And they had their necks cut open and died there in a demeaning fashion because they understood that this life on earth and the suffering we experience now is just a blip on the radar when you compare it to eternity. Our lives are like a vapor. And look, eternity to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. Our lives are just like that. They're here today and just vanish. See, so these martyrs understood, I suffer just for a little bit, but I'll be rewarded forever and ever and ever. And one of the other things that the martyrs understood is this, that they didn't die for Jesus in order to earn a seat in heaven, but they realized Jesus died for them in order to purchase for them a seat in heaven. And if you want to come to relationship with Jesus, perhaps by some strange circumstances, you ended up in this place today. You got to understand, it's not about you dying or, you know, reading your Bible enough to get God to accept you and love you. But it's about receiving a gift that he offers you in order to get you into heaven. It's by simply trusting that when Jesus Christ died on that cross, he was doing so to receive upon himself the punishment that you and I deserved. And if we trust in that and look to the cross and look to Jesus, we can know that we have eternal life. Let's bow for prayer. And as we bow, maybe someone, your heart is thumping. You've never had a relationship with God and you want one for some strange reason today. I want you to just talk to God in your own head, in your own heart right now. We call that prayer. And just say something similar to what many have prayed and thought and said for years and years and years to begin a love relationship with God. Just in your own heart, say to God, God, look, I know I need you. And I know I've sinned and screwed some stuff up. But right now, God, the best I understand it and know how, I am in this moment choosing to believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross to pay the penalty for my sin so that I can have a love relationship with you, God. And right now, by faith, I receive my position in Christ as perfectly pure and holy in your sight. Thank you, God, that you would love someone such as me and that you would welcome me into your family. As we continue in prayer, God, all of us, whether we've been believers of yours for just moments or many years, 
we remember the 21 martyrs and we honor them. And we pray for their families and for other Christ followers in their communities. And Father, we know that the honor that we give to these brave brothers is nothing compared to the amazing reward that you have for them in heaven. And God, we choose to repent of our complacency and our lack of commitment to you. And we choose to ratchet up our commitment to not only read the red, but do what it says. Because you're worth it, Jesus. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.